0: Hey, how are you doing? My name is Dean Dwyer. Welcome to another episode of Unrecognizable with Dean Dwyer. Um, so I, I have gotten into the habit at the beginning of each show to just mention what the primary purpose of this show is. I believe that the single greatest thing that we can teach ourselves how to do is to change our own behaviors. If we can take our worst behaviors and then turn them into our allies, that life becomes exponentially more enjoyable. And uh, I basically am using my own journey to share with you what I'm learning so that you can uh, sort of pick and choose the things that have value for you and then look to begin applying that in your life so that you can change your behaviors in those areas that have eluded you for months, years, possibly even decades. So uh, this episode of the show, this is a little ambitious, actually, and I have no idea how this show is going to turn out. It could be a complete gong show. So apologies in advance if it is. But um, I mentioned in my last newsletter that I was going to share with you uh, a story that in in if I had to sum it up in just a couple of words, it's going to make me look like a complete idiot. (laughs) But there's a purpose to the story. And actually, it was a really valuable uh, lesson for me in my life. And I want to talk about how um, the lessons from this and how they apply to you. And I'm tying this into so the title of this particular episode is why smart people are dumb eaters. Now the truth is, uh really and don't get caught up in the context this is not just about eating it's really why smart people do dumb things right we are all we're all intelligent in our own way but we there are areas of our life where we do things that are just completely idiotic right and and there's no exceptions to that it doesn't matter who who like anybody in the world you you pick a person there's areas where they in their life where they are incredibly intelligent and do incredibly intelligent things. And there's other areas where they are complete knuckleheads. And you know, you'd look at what they're doing and go, oh my God. So I want to I talk about all that today, but I want you to think about that as the context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story about uh, this happened uh, 28 years ago. I was teaching in Columbia. So I'm going to tell you this story about how I got robbed. Now, <laughs> I'm putting I, – I, by the way, I believe I've told this story before um, when I had my previous podcast, The Makeshift Happen Show. But I'm going to tell it from a slightly different angle this time around. So I'm going to tell that story. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the the lessons that I have pulled from that story over time, didn't pull them out right away. This has literally been as I continue to reflect back on that, you know, that moment in my life, I still pull out lessons where that I completely missed or that I didn't understand because I know a little bit more now than I did previously. I'm going to pull out the four lessons that I learned. And then I'm going to tell you a second story about how those lessons have helped me in three other areas of my life where uh, the result could have been uh, catastrophic. And then I'm going to tie it back into the title of this in terms of, again, why a lot of really smart people are dumb eaters. And, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not pointing at other people saying, hey, I'm a smart eater and you're not. I was a dumb eater uh, for 53 years of my life. I am less dumb as an eater now. So I make much better choices now and I have, uh, I, I'm going to use a, a, a phrase that I've created for myself, my eating intelligence is much higher now than it was, uh, you know, from sort of 53 and before that. So so that's the context of the show. And then again, I want you to always sort of pay attention to the big ideas that really resonate with you and make a note of them. And also pay attention to ideas that come up that are not connected to, to what I'm talking about. Because if they bubble to the surface, they're important. Don't ignore them. All right. So I'm just going to um, I'm going to have a quick drink of water, and then I said, "This I have no idea how long this show is going to be, or how it's going to turn out." Okay. So let me tell you my super embarrassing story. So I'm teaching in Colombia. It's back in 1993. I, I taught there for two years, Colombia, South America. And wonderful experience. I learned a ton about myself. I knew nothing about me when I went there. And I think that was, I sort of look at my life as two halves because I was 27 when I went there. And I up until 27, my pursuit was really sort of parties and trying to meet girls. That was really all I I kind of thought about. I uh, didn't read, didn't journal, didn't do any of that. But when I went to Columbia, it really, it completely transformed Like, I feel like I'm a very different person now. I was more extroverted in my, uh, you know, my first 27 years, much more introverted and reflective in my last 29 years. And look at that. I had to do the math in my head on the fly. So I think I was in my second year. And uh, a group of teachers that I was teaching with at this private school, uh, a handful of American and Canadian teachers, we decided to go on a trip. So I was teaching in Barranquilla. You like my Spanish? Rolling my R's? That's right, baby. Um, so I'm teaching in Barranquilla, and we decided to go to Bogota. Yes, Bogota. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. If you are a Spanish speaker and you're listening to this, you can uh, um, hypothetically slap me and say, yeah, that's not how you say it. But it's better than how most people say it. So anyhow, we, we go to Bogota and somehow, I think we were staying for a couple of days. And somehow I decided to go somewhere on my own. I think I wanted to find, oh no, I know what it was. They had a coffee shop slash bookstore, which was an unheard of concept back then. There are all sorts of them now. But this was like this was like people had kept telling me, "Oh, you got to go to this, got to check out this bookstore slash coffee shop." So I went on my own. So as soon as I got out of the cab, the sort of the main street in Bogota, I, I, I as soon as I get out of the cab, almost immediately, this guy walks up to me. He flashes a badge, policia, and uh, he said, "We need." I can't even remember exactly uh, exactly what he said, but. Uh, he said like we need to to make sure that you're registered so the first thing that i just did a little bit of backstory I had heard sort of horror stories about the Colombian police, and it, it, from the standpoint that you know they were open to bribes because it was a very low paying job it wasn't a well respected job and so uh there's a bit of a bribe culture there well there's a bribe culture everywhere actually, so it's not just not just you know it's everywhere. But, you know, but bribery was, you know, a a part of their culture. And so, you know, they could be bribed to look the other way or whatever. And, you know, and I'd heard some stories, you know, from a few people about, you know, what had happened to some people. So right away, like, my mind is screaming, like, you know, not to, you know, like, not to somehow get thrown into a Colombian prison, right there. So right away, I am just in my head, I am completely irrational. So he tells me to follow him. So he said, come with me. So now, I'm just thinking too, I'm wearing a jacket that's got a big Canadian flag on the back, like just screaming like, hey, I'm a tourist. And you know, all the, all the things you shouldn't do as a traveler, like you're pointing attention to yourself. But, so he says, uh, come with me. So we start walking, we're on this main drag, and then we kind of turn down this sort of side street or walkway. And as we're going down there, I had a small semblance of rationality, and I asked the question. I said, "I said, where where are we going?" He said, "Oh, we're just going right here." And then my rationality shut off again. So uh, he said, "This is my my boss or my police chief or whatever." So there is another guy there. So they start asking me questions. You know, do you have your passport? I, I said, "Yes, I do." And, you know, and is it registered? I am like, oh, "Yes, it is." So he said, "We need to see that." So, <laughs> um, so I take out my passport and I give it to the guy. So there's two of them there right now, right? So there's two police officers there. So he looks at my passport and then suddenly this woman comes up and she's screaming hysterically at these guys. And, and the guy says, oh, um, we're also, you know, we're also checking into her and, and, so anyway, and she's screaming at me and, and saying all these things. And I don't speak Spanish. So I'm looking at her and... Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. This is where I look like a complete idiot. So they asked me for my passport. Which, number one, like I gave my passport. I'm standing essentially in a park is really what it was. I'm uh, And I give my passport to this guy. And fortunately, so he looks at it. He says, okay, that looks okay. <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is where I look like a complete knucklehead Uh, so then he says (laughs) is your money registered well again there's nothing in my head that is rational at this moment in time because I am literally like my brain is like don't get thrown in a Colombian prison so that question seems totally rational to me so I pull out my wallet so we need to see your money (laughs) so I give them all my money that I have in my wallet, which is about, uh, it was in pesos, but it's about $200 American. So they're looking at my money. And that's when that woman comes over. And she's screaming and yelling. And he's though we're doing the same thing with her. Um, And and but she's screaming at me and I don't speak any Spanish. And so I'm trying to address this woman. And, and I don't know how much time has gone by. But then um, one of the guys is, is gone. He's, he's no longer in our group. Like they, so they've distracted me and this guy is no longer in my group. And I look sort of over to the side and this guy is walking away and he's probably now 30 meters away from me. And, and he's looking back and he sees me and he says like, he motions for me to follow him. So, and he's holding my money. So I pick up my bag And then I start running to catch up to him and he is just about – he's just about to turn a corner. So – and he does. He turns the corner and then I don't know how far behind I am. So I, I run to catch up and then I turn the corner and it's like a scene out of a bad movie. People everywhere. This guy nowhere to be seen. And then I quickly turn back. And the other two people are gone. And I stood there for a second and I started to laugh because I thought, oh my God, at this moment in time, I am the stupidest man on the on the planet. I couldn't help but laugh. So I had a few pesos left. I had enough money to go and get a coffee. And I, I sat down at a coffee shop to just... I, again I was laughing at the situation but I was also kind of taking some mental notes of what exactly happened like what the heck just happened there and I realized that like so these the, what they did was brilliant was brilliant now again it's one of these these hypotheticals where I imagine these guys sitting in this dingy this dingy room saying okay listen what we need we need to find the perfect idiot like this is not going to work on most people but there may be one or two people that this is going to work on but here's what we're going to do we're going to ask him for his passport then we're going to ask him if his money is registered and if he's completely not thinking at all then we're going to bring this other per- person over he's going to distract him we're going to have the money we're going to walk around the corner uh you know he's we're going to have a delay you know he uh, has some distance and by the time he gets there I'm gone, we're all gone, we're $200 richer and, you know, we get to laugh about how we con this Canadian traveler. And I'm like, wow, that is, like, they played me perfectly. And to be honest, I didn't have the wherewithal at the time. I said this was an interesting phase in my life because being in Colombia, I had a lot of time, like being in a different culture where you don't speak the language, you don't know a lot of people – it became a very reflective time for me and so i had I did have an opportunity to kind of think about what you know what had happened there but again I've had twenty eight years to um to sort of pull you know some some interesting information you know and some lessons from that that have benefited me very very well moving forward and um and also made me a lot more sympathetic to other people who have been conned, right? So, because um, it, it's very easy, even now, right? You're listening, because uh, I said, I, I realized the ridiculousness of that story. Nothing about that story makes any sense. And when you sit and you're listening in the comfort of your own home or wherever you are, you go, oh my God, how could he be such an idiot? I would never do that. And I have said the same thing. You know, you, I hear stories about other people and in this in my little bubble that I'm listening to it in where I'm thinking rationally, and, and there's no emotional elements at play. I go, God, how could they be so stupid? Just like, you know, we look at people in relationships, right? And we who are not involved in the relationship, we see this behavior going on. And we go, how can they tolerate we do this all the time, right? Where we say, how can they not see this? Or how can they continue to tolerate that? And um, and so let me tell you, let me tell you the lessons that, um, that I pulled from this that you may find helpful on your own journey to either assessing a situation um, that where you have not acted as intelligently as you wanted or having a little more empathy for other people who are in a situation where um, it's easy for us to judge and to be critical um, because we think we would have handled it differently. So the first thing is that I, I began to realize is that intelligence is domain-specific, right? You can be really, really smart in one area of your life and be a complete knucklehead in multiple other areas. And this is true of everyone, everyone. And some. I'm going to drop stories as they pop into my head. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind is, you know, you think of Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Jobs was a brilliant creative, right? I mean, like, he he came up with, again, like, he revolutionized, you know, the phone industry, he revolutionized the, the iPad, music, like, you name it. Like, just a, a brilliant revolutionary. And yet, uh, I was reading a story about... Now again, this is secondhand knowledge, but um, so you have to take this with a grain of salt. But you know, he ultimately died from prostate cancer. Well, apparently, um, he rejected um, medical intervention at the beginning. He thought that he could solve the problem on his own. uh, You know, with with spiritual healing and meditation and fruit juices and stuff like that, and that. By the time he ultimately decided to have medical intervention, it was too late and There are some people that believe that had he listened you know to the medical advice right at the beginning he 'd still be alive today so it 's sort of an example of where our intelligence actually gets in our own way you know we 're so smart that we talk ourselves into you know non intelligent ways to approach things and i 'm not saying that anything that he chose to do was was in and of itself was bad I think those things could have been very effective and what he wanted you know like meditation and you know whatever else he was sort of pursuing but also sort of with you know recognizing that medical intervention was needed but anyway uh, so the point is we can be really really smart in one area of our life actually not the point this this is the same for everybody I believe this is a universal truth we can be incredibly intelligent in one area and a complete dumbass in other areas of our lives, right? And we see stories about this all the time, right? Brilliant golfers, who are terrible husbands, um, you know, brilliant actors who, you know, are, you know, have drug problems, you know, where they or self esteem issues. And like, we see it everywhere, right? There, there are examples all over the place. And, and you could just sit down in your own life and think like, yeah, like, I'm incredibly intelligent when it comes to the kind of work that I do. And yet when it comes to belief in myself or, you know, my relationships or my ability to manage money or my ability to manage my thoughts, you know, complete knucklehead. Like, so intelligence is domain specific. So that's the first thing. We can be really smart in one area of life and not so in other areas. And this was clearly an example for me. There were some areas where I am in somewhat intelligent. But in this particular area, I wasn't. So that was my sort of first takeaway, was this idea that we tend to blanket people with intelligence, right? So if somebody, and we link it to education, right? If somebody has a, a lot of education, we say, oh, they're brilliant. But that's actually not how we should be talking about people. We should be saying the, the domain that they're brilliant. They are brilliant uh, entrepreneurs. They are brilliant academics, but that does not mean that you're brilliant with your relationships or you're, br- you're brilliant with your finances, um, you know, those sorts of things. So intelligence is domain specific. The second takeaway that I took from, from that was that emotions wreak havoc on our ability to think critically or rationally. And, and I know exactly what the problem was. I know exactly when it arose. I had in my head, I had these stories, horror stories, I'm putting this in quotation marks, of the Colombian police and what they could possibly do to me that it completely over, it overrode any, like I said, when I reflected on what happened, like even I had to say, What like what are you, an idiot? Is your money registered? Like thank goodness they didn't ask me if my clothes were registered. I would have been stark naked and then I'd be like, hang on, let me take these off so you can check. Like like thank goodness they didn't go that far. It's like I, I said I couldn't believe how stupid I was. But again it was but looking back on it, it's like, wow, it is incredible when we when emotions are involved, how our rational thinking is hijacked and you know it, uh, recognizing that I need to start training myself how to be more rational in emotional situations right like the, to, to manage my emotions uh, so that I make better choices like uh, I think of something like road rage right like road road rage is again smart people who make incredibly bad decisions choices in the moment because the rational thinking gets overridden you know and uh, that was for example i was actually really good in that area of my life when i used to have my car and i was driving like if somebody was changing lanes and didn't signal and didn't see me like i got the fact that they're not doing it on purpose they just they you know so i i wasn't on my horn i'd be you know like i i didn't i didn't you know I, i wasn't giving people the finger i wasn't yelling at them because it's like, yeah, people are not doing this on purpose. They're completely unaware of what they're doing, right? But then there's other people that completely flip out. So emotions can have, can wreak havoc on our ability to think rationally when left unchecked. And I just had this this loop running through my head of like, don't do anything that's going to get you thrown in jail, and completely overrode my rational brain. So nothing I did was rational. Uh, number three is... Again, when we're hearing other people's stories, it's so easy to go like, oh my God, I can't believe you're so stupid. But here's the thing, we don't know what we don't know. Right? It is easy, again, in our own little bubbles to hear a story and say, oh, I would not have done that. And it's like, you know what? We have no idea how we're going to behave in a situation until we're actually in it. I remember watching Survivor when it first came out and you, you see all these people and what they're doing. And I remember at the time, I thought oh, I wouldn't do that. And then I started thinking, I thought, you know what? You have no idea what like when you are deprived because they like food was always scarce, right? And then it's this situation where you're pitting people against each other. It's like you have no idea. First of all, when food is deprived, like that, that changes how you how you think. Like that has a, a massive impact on on your ability to think critically. When you're not fed completely and you're always thinking about food, you have no idea how you'd behave. I thought I would probably be just as animalistic as everybody else is on there, even though I like to think, oh, I wouldn't do that. I would act with integrity. I mean, I hope I would act with integrity. But the truth is, no idea. We do not know what we do not know, right? So sometimes bad things have to happen. And hopefully we can survive those, and we can share those experiences with other people so they don't have to go through the same thing that they can kind of plan and prepare for such a situation you know, in advance. It's like, okay, now that I know that this possibility exists, I can prepare myself for it and, and hopefully recognize the situation when it happens and make some better choices than Dean made, right? But again, so uh, uh, we don't know what we don't know. And then the last thing is... I can't read my own writing here. An incredible ability to... Oh, oh yeah, sorry. So the last thing is that we all are really good at. We have an incredible ability to rationalize really bad behavior, right? I have the, you know, like, because what I could have done at the end of that is I could have, uh, after that all that happened, I, I could have been irate that I was a victim of a scam. But I... <laughs> I said, I thought it was hilarious that I was basically a victim of myself, right? I wasn't a victim of a scam. I was a victim of my inability to think critically in a highly emotional situation, right? So I could play the victim card and we do this all the time. Right? Oh, it's not my fault. Uh, this happened, that happened. But um, I wasn't. I, I, you know, I, I like I said, we can, we can find incredible ways to rationalize really poor behavior choices. And we do this all the time. So those were, those were my four sort of big takeaways that I took from from that story, as I reflect back on it, again, sort of 2028 years later, is that there were a lot of really valuable lessons there that have actually helped me navigate a few situations moving forward. Now, by the way, just because something happens, that's negative. And we pull the lessons out, there's no guarantee that from situation to situation, um, we're never going to, you know, be conned again, or we're never going to, um, you know, we're never going to suffer that humiliation again, you, you, there's just too many variables that come into play, all you can do is pull the lessons out. And then every situation is an opportunity to hopefully behave more intelligently. And either you do or you don't. And then you assess the situation, uh, you know, in terms of how it went. And and hopefully, again, you skew the odds of success in your favor. So let me tell you how that benefited me as a result of going through that, you know, and I said the sort of having the humility over after a few years, of because at, at first, I beat myself up over feeling like I should have seen all this coming. But it's like, again, you don't know what you don't know. You know, so realizing that in in highly charged emotional situations that didn't sound right but you know what I meant um you know is our brain has a tendency you know our emotions will overrun overrun our rational thinking so just having that in my mind I can be more aware now of like trying to you know trying to catch myself when I'm being highly emotional sometimes I'm successful at that sometimes I'm not so let me tell you a second story now so that was a uh, um uh, a fascinating story <laughs> with a with a bad outcome but i learned from that outcome and i've been able to use it I, I could think of three specific situations where i was able to detect that i was actually being conned well sorry two for sure and the one i'm going to tell you now was i don't know but i suspect that i was so ironically, this story, and I, I just thought about this today. i completely forgotten about this story. I thought about this today as I was trying to put this episode together. So when I was in Colombia again, so this is seven years later. I'm in Colombia in 1999. I went back. So when I was teaching, I was teaching um, a class of grade six students. So they were now graduating from high school. And I had always told them I would come back for their graduation. So I did. So I went to Barranquilla to see them. And then I wanted to spend a couple of days in Cartagena. Cartagena is sort of the, the touristy. There's beaches and the weather's pretty decent there. So that's sort of where all most sort of travelers go to Cartagena. So I'm in Cartagena. I'm, I'm on one of the main streets. And at some point, I don't know where I was going, but I needed a cab. And so this guy on the sidewalk, he says, oh, do you need a cab? I said, I do. So he said, okay, come with me. So I said, great. So I've got my bag. I start walking and we're walking on the main street. And then he turns and he starts walking down this alley. <laughs> Does this story sound familiar? <laughs> and I stop and I said, uh, where are we going? He said, uh, oh, the car is just down here. Now this alley, I see nothing. There's no cars anywhere. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm good. Thank you so much. And I just walked away. Now, had I don't know what how that would have played itself out. There's a probability that this was legit. I believe that there's a high probability, and I'm going to put it at eighty percent. I'm just guessing, but I'm going to say there's an eighty percent possibility that this was not uh, legit. That there were too many things here that were unknown. Some guy standing on the sidewalk um, you know, who says, yeah, I got a cab. The cab is nowhere to be seen. I'm walking down this alley and I'm going to end up at a car that is, you know, going to take me wherever I want to go. I'm fairly certain that I would have been met by at least two or three other individuals that would have, uh, kindly asked me to part with my belongings or worse. I don't know. I don't know. So, but again, had my had the situation not happened seven years previous, I'm not sure that I would have had the wherewithal to be aware of what was going on. Because again, we have an incredible capacity uh, when when emotions are involved to rationalize bad behavior on our own end, but also on other people's ends, right? Like we, we tend to we are great at making excuses for why other people behave the way they do, right? That's why oftentimes spouses don't recognize or don't realize that their spouse, their their partner is cheating on them. Because we say, oh no, no, he's working late at work. And so like there are all these warning signs, but because emotions are involved, we don't, we don't see them for what they are. Someone else is telling us the story, we go, oh my God, I think he might be cheating on you, right? But we don't see it, right? We find a way to rationalize things when emotions are at play i would have found a way to say i don't know it seems normal. it could be you know his car could be there but because that happened i believe and again this is all speculation on my part i believe that i i prevented myself from either being robbed or something worse and um uh, very quick i'm not going to tell these two stories but But one of them is, an. actually they're both kind of, they're both, they both ended kind of comically. But uh, one of them is about a colleague that I used to uh, teach who essentially faked her death in order to woo me. <laughs> and it was through a series of emails, and it was, it was a result of, after getting the first email and actually thinking she was going to die, that I realized that something was amiss, and I started doing some research, and I figured out it was a scam. Uh, I'll have to tell that story another time. It's, it's a pretty funny story, actually. Uh, and then the other scenario was a um, scammed on I, I, I figured out a scam on Craigslist when I was selling my car. And again, it didn't I didn't I didn't notice it initially. I was selling my car, a guy offered to buy it at full price immediately, sight unseen. And I texted my dad, said this is great, guy's gonna pay the asking price. And then I started reading, rereading, and I'm like, something doesn't feel right here. And also recognize it was a it was a, it was a scam. Oh, sorry, there's one other story I wanted to tell. I, I'm kind of backtracking, because it ties into the point. Um, about you know we don't know what we don't know right and it's so easy to judge other people and say I can't believe how stupid they were Um, this was a story of um, a landlord that's in a city just outside of Toronto called Guelph and and I read this years ago but uh, he got scammed and it was one of these things where he had apartments that he rented there's a university there in Guelph and he would rent apartments to foreign students typically with foreign students you can charge higher prices And so there was a foreign student who uh, uh, messaged him and said, hey, listen, I'm going to take the apartment. Uh, You know, uh, uh, what's the first and last that I have to send? So the landlord said, you know, it's X number of dollars. So this person actually ended up sending more money than they were supposed to send. And they said, oh, my God, listen, I made a mistake. I sent more money than I was supposed to. Could you send me the difference? So he was like, sure. So he sends the difference. And that wire transfer that he originally got didn't go through and it was all part of the scam right and again it's easy to say how could he be so stupid and it's like you don't know what you don't know right that that until you hear about scams like that it it's now again some people might have right away might have been might have been skeptical right and and intelligence is again it's domain specific we might have other areas and experience other things where we would see through it but it doesn't mean that other people are complete idiots because they didn't see it if they had never saw it before then yeah, they might be susceptible to that just like the Nigerian Prince stories, which we all laugh at, but somebody had to fall victim to that initially. And then you hear it enough times and you realize, oh, that'll never be happened to me. But then there's people who get catfished, right? You know, you you're being pursued online by some fictional character. And there's just there are so many ways that really smart people um, can do really dumb things simply because they don't know what they don't know. So anyway, I wanted to throw that story in there. Um, again, I think it sort of illustrates, you know, the whole point. So I want to kind of take this back now, because I titled this, you know, why smart people make, you know, are dumb eaters or make dumb eating decisions. But the truth is, this is really about why smart people um, make dumb choices in life, like, why are we really smart in some areas of our life, and not so smart in other areas of our life. And so I I kind of wanted to talk about uh, a few of the the sort of takeaway i'm going to talk specifically though about eating right and why smart people make dumb eating choices and i said this at the beginning i i don't have a problem using like like saying dumb eaters because i was a dumb eater right i'm calling it for what it is i made really bad eating choices but not because i was intentionally making bad i just i didn't know what i was doing right so here are our, our four things that I wanted to talk about here about to help you if if you are struggling with your weight or you don't have the body that you are you've desired to create for yourself a lot of this all comes back to our eating and the first thing is to recognize that most of us if we're struggling we have a very low eating intelligence now eating intelligence is my own languaging it's it's a it's a phrase that I created for myself about how I could go about increasing my eating IQ. Because the reality is for most people, and this goes back again to not knowing what we don't know, like, like most people don't know anything about how they eat. Like if I said to you right now, tell me everything you ate two days ago, you have no clue what you ate two days ago, you don't even know what you did two days ago, you have no clue what you ate two days ago, which seems normal, right? People be like, I don't know what I ate. But it's like, if you don't know what you've eaten, then that means you have no idea how many calories you're consuming. And if you have no idea how many calories you're consuming, how can you possibly make rational eating choices that are going, let's say you have 40, 50, 60, 30 pounds to lose. How are you going to make rational eating decisions if you have no idea how many calories you're consuming, right? If you have no idea what foods you've eaten, how are you going to figure out what foods, Maybe, you know, what foods are making you fat? Like, how do you speculate on like what foods might be causing you problems if you don't actually have an archive of what you're eating? And I realized I didn't have any, like, I didn't have any of those questions. Like, most people can't answer the question, how many meals a day do you eat? Now, most people will give you an answer. They'll say, oh, I eat three. But again, when I say that people have a very low eating intelligence, people don't realize that a meal is anything that, where you're consuming calories, So people don't consider, for example, if I go to a coffee shop in the morning before work and I get some syrupy drink that's got three or 400 calories in it, that's a meal. But people don't think of that as a meal. We think of the big, when I sit down and I say, oh, this is my meal, we think of that as our meal. We don't think of every snack we have in between all our meals, that those are also meals. So when people say, oh, I I eat two or three times a day, they actually eat six to 10 times a day, right? So again, it's, it's... people have very low eating IQs, they have no idea really how they're eating, right, which goes back to what I said before, we just we don't know what we don't know. So that's the first reason that people uh, make really bad eating decisions. Number two, is that they do not recognize the emotional triggers that cause them to eat the way that they eat. So we have no idea, like, like what sets us off, right? And again, and this, and this all goes. This is actually all tying back into eating intelligence, right? We, we have no, like, why do you eat the way you eat? Why do you, why do you gravitate towards ice cream? Like, like why is it synonymous that when there is a breakup or uh, a traumatic relationship experience, that in every movie we ever watch, ice cream comes out? Why is that, right? it's an emotional trigger. Like we, when we are emotionally triggered, we crave things, we crave foods that are not in alignment with what it is that we are looking to achieve. But we don't. Nobody questions that nobody asks, like, why is it that we 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 crave that? Why do I use that as a coping mechanism, as opposed to actually finding a a better, more suitable way to deal with the problem? so we never sort of a lot of people well first of all everyone's an emotional leader men and women guys would never say they're emotional leaders guess what dudes you're emo- you're an emotional leader we're all emotional leaders whether we choose to recognize it or not and then our job is to figure out what like what are the triggers right and triggers you know are sort of situational events that happen a lot of it has to do with work but it can also be social settings people act as triggers and we never identify like you know, when you're when you're, you know, when you're elbow deep in a, uh, you know, in a bucket of ice cream, what sets you off? Who sets you off? What thoughts set you off, right? We, we, you know, I've had a couple of bouts of anxiety in my life that I realized that what's fascinating to me about anxiety is I created it with my own thoughts, I made it up, it didn't exist before. And I created, I created a situation that is all hypothetical, it's imaginary. But I created it with my thoughts. So you know, what thoughts are you thinking that cause you to become an emotional eater? So that's the second thing. There are these emotional triggers that make us really dumb eaters. Number three goes back to what I said before is we don't know what we don't know, right? So if you think of something like sugar, like people have no idea the impact that refined sugars have on our brain and our body. So I, again, people will make ridiculous statements like, oh my God, I cannot imagine my life without sugar. I think I said this on the last podcast. And yet no one on their deathbed is like, listen, I just want to be surrounded by my favorite desserts. No one's thinking about sugar when they're dying, right? We're thinking about people and and community and you know relationships and all those sorts of things. And yet we make silly statements like I can't imagine my life without sugar, but we have no idea how it impairs our brain and basically wraps a straight jacket around our brain so that our brains cannot do what it's designed to do, uh, to keep us lean and active. Right. So we, we we don't we just don't know what we don't know. And so until you, you know it, you, you we end up making a lot of really bad choices that we just simply don't know that we're making. So even, I said, even though I'm saying that people are dumb eaters, they're not doing it intentionally. They simply do not know that they're making a series of bad choices or they choose not to know. And then um, I, 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 I'm sure that this is a phrase or a term that's been invented, but I'm going to call it rationalization bias. And if it doesn't exist, then I'm going to take ownership of it. But rationalization bias is that we have a what I said earlier. We have a tremendous capacity to convince ourselves um, why we're doing what we're doing, right? We always have a why. Oh, I did this, but but I did it because, right? And I always think um, I, this is a non-food example. But if you have children, how many times have you had a bad day at work and come home and blown up at your kids, and then when you if if you apologize you say, Oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, I had a bad day at work, it, you know, where and, and which I find fascinating, right? Then when we look at that apology, it sounds great. Like, Oh, they apologize. But it's like, yeah, we apologize, we didn't actually take ownership of the problem. We blamed it on work. Oh, it's not my fault work. I had a bad day at work. And that's why I blew up at you as opposed to saying, Listen, I don't know how to manage my work stress. Uh, and so I take it out on you, right? And and so again, it, it's sort of we have this incredible ability. I did this because it's not my fault. You know, we, we, we have wonderful ways, you know, to rationalize really bad behaviors. Oh no, you know what? I can have the ice cream. Uh, because I, I just, I just went for a four kilometer walk. It's like those they don't cancel each other out that, 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 that we use like really simple math like I I did this one thing so I can have this one thing but it's like they don't cancel each other out the number of calories you burn on a walk does not does not even come close to the number of calories you're consuming with with the ice cream that leads to the pizza that leads to a whole host of other things that you end up having it's like it's a terrible trade-off that's bad math But again, we find ways to rationalize really bad behavior. And then the last one we make bad eating choices, again, it's just, we have a whole series of false beliefs that we don't know are false, right? We have false beliefs about ourselves. So for example, a lot of people feel that they are their genetics, right? They'll, they'll look at their family and say, Oh, well, you know what obesity runs in my family. And that's why I struggle with my weight. Versus recognizing that behavior is only about 20% of who we become 80% is negotiable, right? And but again, it's a false belief of like, yeah, I I just, you know, like my whole family is is big or whatever, is again, is a we have a false belief, which also, again, ties back into not knowing what we don't know, right? We, we have these what we believe to be true, that are, in fact, not actually true. So Those are just, I said, this is, I'm actually thinking of this as, like, this is something that I'm going to come back to a lot in in other podcast episodes um, about sort of how we can go about being smarter, specifically with our eating, be smarter with our training, uh, but also in our life, right? How do we go about increasing our intelligence in all areas of life? So what I want to do now is I'll tell you my takeaway from this, and then you can decide whether or not you want this to be your takeaway. But through all of this, all of my ridiculous stories and ridiculous behavior and and things that I've learned is like, what's my big takeaway from this that I can use that will benefit me moving forward. And I realized that what I'm on a pursuit of it's a phrase I, I hear. So I, I follow investors, I feel like building a successful body, is very much like being a successful investor. There's a lot of similarities in terms of how to think and behave. And one of the things they talk about, and I heard, I've heard Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talk about this, is the pursuit of intellectual humility, which is sort of recognizing that we don't really know anything at all. Like, I'll give you an example of intellectual hubris. I remember making a statement at some point in my mid-30s, where I said, No one will be able to tell me something about me that I don't already know about myself. <laughs> it's like, how ridiculous of a statement is that? Like, talk about intellectual hubris, thinking I've got myself all figured out. I know nothing about me. Nothing. And, and it, when I do learn something about myself, it's sort of recognizing there are 10 other things that will branch off that area that I have not even yet uncovered. So for me now, it's this pursuit of intellectual humility, which really for me, if I if my mindset around this is how do I go through life and be less stupid? And I'm, I'm being very abrupt with my language for myself. To kind of, and by the way, this is a new mindset that I have just recently started playing around with because I thought, how do I encourage intellectual humility rather than get caught up in trying to pretend how smart I am, right? You know, or, or like I said, it's my goal is always to make better decisions. That's my goal, right? I'm always looking for information that's going to help me make smarter choices in life that will help me achieve what it is I want to achieve. But I think ultimately what I'm trying to do is be less stupid. In each situation, because then what that does is it forces me to look at even my quote unquote successful outcomes and say, what could I have done better there to be less stupid, right? Um, If you read my newsletter, I talked last week, I introduced a term that Annie Duke talks about in thinking and bets called resulting, which is we tend to link our decision, uh, the outcome to the quality of our decision, right? So sometimes, for example, um, I will like when I'm out walking somewhere. I will look to dash across two or a four-lane roadway that's really really busy um, to to find an opening and dash across there quickly, rather than just walk up to the light and then and then backtrack. And uh, and and at times I'll and I'll make it across the street and I'll get to the other side and I'll go oh, that was a stupid decision. Outcome was great. I didn't get hit by a car but i'm not factoring into the to it like for example now it's 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 winter here and i'm not factoring in what if what if there was ice on the road and i slipped and i fell and i am just giving myself enough time to get across before the car goes by that car has no time to react if i slip and fall that car has no time to react and to stop like i'm putting myself in unnecessary danger rather than just making a better choice so again great outcome didn't get hit by a car stupid decision. And it's it's reminding myself to, again, to be less stupid to be more um, to to exercise more humility to kind of look at the outcomes, make sure that again, just because something turned out well doesn't mean that I did everything right. And very seldom do we ever get everything perfect. There's always areas to improve. So the takeaway is to begin to sort of pursue intellectual Uh, humility, right, is to recognize that there are just so many different areas of our life where we have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. And if we start, I think I alluded on another podcast, one of the questions that I want to answer for myself now is, why do I do what I do? Right? Or why am I not doing what I know I should be doing? Why do I, you know, react emotionally when someone reacts emotionally to me? Like, why can't I just hear the words? And then yet just be totally calm and then respond back in a rational manner. So by asking those kinds of questions, I am challenging myself to behave in a way that is beginning to align with who I want to be in this world. And I'm going to suggest the same for you. And if we begin to take that journey, then we start making smarter choices and smarter decisions uh, which lead to better outcomes, which lead to greater you know desires in terms of achieving the goals that we want to achieve, that is it, my friend. Um, I will ask if you like the episode and you think this will have value for other people, I'd love it if you share it. That would be your way of um, Uh, you know, just saying, hey, you know what, Dean, thanks, I I am getting value from this, I do find that you're helping me think about my thinking, which is ultimately what this show is about, right? It's really about modeling my own thinking, modeling my own journey. So you start modeling and, and really thinking about your own thinking and changing the way you think about things. So that you're getting more of what you want by actually being able to change these behaviors that have held you back for years, if not decades. All right, my friend, have an awesome rest of today. We'll talk soon.